Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started, just a little addendum about this episode. This episode might be a little bit on the shorter side because of what we're talking about today. But before we get to that, I wanted to just encourage you to go listen to the most recent Lunchbox Weekly News episode, which hilariously, I like hit publish on that episode. Then Crunchyroll just did a bunch of stuff. So if you're wondering where those stories are, they'll be in next week's because I can't I can't lose my mind to that schedule of nonsense. Um, but yeah, so definitely go check out the most recent Lunchbox Weekly News episode. Um, I, I really like putting that thing together, together every week. I think it does a lot to like inform people about what's happening in anime in the anime industry. And not just, like, give in to hype cycle stuff. Um, which is also why I wasn't so worried about not including the Crunchyroll stuff. Because <sighs> Crunchyroll is the, it's the big, fit, it's the big fit fish in the small pond now. And they are making sure you know when they splash. Um, when they splash around, rather. So, on that note... Um... You can also go listen to the Knights of the episode before that, which is all about the live-action Knights of the Zodiac, which, it's wild to me that that thing is the most pop, it's like, got super big on Netflix, like, it's doing very well on Netflix, because y'all, they're, they're gonna learn, they're gonna learn the wrong lessons, because that movie isn't good. <laughs> and, like, the first thing I did was I, like, had a, when I, like, went over the threads, I was like, yo... Just because a bunch of people watched some shit doesn't mean it's good. It just means a bunch of people could have just watched a bad thing because they were morbidly curious. Because that is super what I did. Um, but on that note, so definitely if you're interested in hearing my thoughts on that movie, or I guess it qualifies as film now because it was like a huge deal on Netflix, um, definitely go check it out on in the feed, whatever podcast app you're using to hear my voice right now. Um, but this week, we're ending an era, we're ending a saga of sorts. Which, to my fairness, I've only ever done, I think I've only ever done one episode about Attack on Titan. I could be wrong, I could have done, is it a possibility I have done at least two? And we'll get to why in a second, but this is, but we're talking about, what we're talking about this week is Attack on Titan, the final episode of the final chapter. Anime Considered. Lunchbox Radio. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, if you haven't been following Attack on Titan, which is what, which would be wild to me because it's been like a huge, it's been like a grat- earth-shaking show for a while now. Um, I'm going to take you through a rough timeline of like the experience of the release of Attack on Titan, the anime, not the manga, to be clear. So, Attack on Titan premieres, um, in, well, Attack on Titan premieres, and it's the biggest fucking thing on the planet, because it's a big mystery box, it's a big, what the fuck is going on, it's a big, like, weird medieval-esque town, and then all of a sudden there's a giant face staring down the walls of that town, and it kicks the wall out. Like, that face is attached to a body, and that body kicks the wall out. Then the first season happens. Um, and you have the, your typical shonen issues of, like, pacing and all this other crap. And then there's, like, a weird... And this is why I'm doing this, to, like, give you kind of a rough timeline. There's, like, a weird one- to two-year gap there between season one in season two. Season three and four happen in fair succession to compared to each other because once they hit season two, they're like, we gotta keep up the momentum or we're just it's just gonna get lost in the sauce. And the weird thing here about that season one is, and I bet this was, they made some agreements before they realized how much this thing was going to just explode to do a different show. That... Kind of the same show that went on a very different trajectory in terms of popularity called um, Cabernet and the Iron Iron Fortress, I believe. And it's it's like Attack on Titan, but with trains and zombies. It's wild. Um, So they did that for like a season. And then there was a movie or something. And then I believe it's... I forget. I think it's Studio Studio Wit that's doing um, Attack on Titan. Studio Wit came back and did season two, and then three and four happened. But somewhere in the four range of things, the pandemic occurred. And if you don't know anything about animation, and you're like, "Why the hell are all these animation studios so terminally fucked? Like, what about the pandemic made it so they couldn't just take the stuff home?" The thing you should know about animation is that, like, if you see a studio that's 21 people, like, like MAPPA is, like, um, Bug Films, I believe, was noted by the guys over, um, on, um, Otaku's Anonymous having 21 people. That's the core animation staff. They're, they're, like, doing, they're doing the big scenes and a lot of the key work. The people doing a lot of other stuff are freelancers, and there are basically runners like and you see this in um the show shirobako if you've ever seen shirobako which i've talked about on this show before you have people who just run stuff to other people they're basically production managers and stuff like that and they just get stuff from one place to another and that's a lot of the job so yes you may have a core animation staff about 21 people but who knows how many other people are working on a thing. And in the same way that Bug Films 
had been having has had been having until recently apparently um the new zom 100 episode is coming out i think on like christmas day or something um like the 25th of december i'm not kidding um two days before i go to japan go figure um have been having issues meeting their like the expected weekly deadlines past i think like episode three everything went all topsy-turvy and weird and got super delayed um that um at this point in the grand scheme of things that's just bad that's just bad time management most likely it's bad time management it's bad project management that's what leads to those kinds of delays but the thing with attack on titan is somewhere in the middle there somewhere in the middle of all the goodness the the show got to such heights and got to such allegory about war, about conflict, about generational violence, about, like, the current generation's responsibility to fix the past, the generation's past fuck-ups, and the pandemic happened, and all the, and all that mixed together, that it just became this, like, thing that couldn't, that couldn't end. And also, I want to be really clear here. It was always in their interest not to end it very quickly. And they were coming, and a lot of these shows think like um, Demon Slayer is a great example, Jujutsu Kaisen, um, Attack on Titan. All of these shows are, even in Health Paradise eventually, are from mangaka who are learning from the people who came before them how to write a show and they are largely ending the shows on their own terms. Demon Slayer, the Demon Slayer manga is over. It's done. There's an end point. That show that show is not very strong. The Jujutsu Kaisen manga is like in its last in like its last major arc, I think. It it closer to ending than not. And the reason that they probably did this is because they want a, like... They want a control over their work that ultimately somebody like, um... The, um... The original creator of Dragon Ball didn't have. That thing exploded so hard that nothing beyond... The, that large parts of the show beyond the Cell Saga are just don't have Akira Toriyama's influence at all. Like Boo, you know, the the Supreme Kai, he comes back for Super and he's coming back for whatever that weird chibi Dragon Ball thing that was announced a couple weeks ago was is going to be. But largely he there's a whole section of Dragon Ball that he doesn't have a whole lot of involvement in. Because what and this is something I'm going to be interested to see in Japan is the the biggest thing that we are miss, the huge thing that we miss, one, of the, one of the huge things that we as anime fans miss out outside of Japan is that these characters and these properties kind of shed the context of themselves and become like marketing 
market pieces of like advertising and marketing for uh for a period of time. Um, uh, a YouTuber. I think she's actually the producer also for um the Trash Taste Guide. A uh, uh, woman named Emichu, named named like Amy Chu or something over on TikTok, over on YouTube rather. Sorry. Um, has done a bunch of videos that I, I don't, I'm not sure how lately she's done them, but she's done them and you can go find them certainly about, I think they're late, they're, um, recent addition to a recent upload to a channel about going to collab, what she calls collab cafes, which are anime cafes that are collaborations between these like hip trendy cafes and different anime properties. So, like, she went to a Demon Slayer cafe. And oftentimes it will be accompanied by some amount of production art and stuff like that. And there'll be a, there'll be a, um, exhibit alongside it. Like, maybe next door. But the thing that you start to see is, like, the... The context of all this stuff gets so close to being gone. Gets so close to being gone. And like the core emotionality of these shows just just doesn't can't hold because in order for some of these shows to hold their emotionality into like a clap cafe, you would just have to make it so unnervingly depressing. Like a berserk collab cafe if it's gonna be true to the show, it's gotta be weird as shit. And I can tell you from seeing it, it was not. <laughs> because they're trying to sell you a pastry or like a savory pastry at the end of the day. It's like, it's, it's just the way it goes. But what that means for a property that's as popular as something like um, Demon Slayer or Jujutsu Kaisen is that when that end happens, in order to keep it relevant, you generally need to go one of two ways. You need to drag it out for as long as fucking possible. And that's what, um, to, to be clear, that's what Dragon Ball Z did. That's what, um, that's ultimately what um, Attack on Titan did in the end. Or you need to go the kind of Evangelion route. And if you're not familiar with the evangelionness of the of the mer of the merchandise world holy shit there's a video out there on i'm sure a bunch of videos out there on youtube of people just living a week only using evangelion merchandise no no other merchandise they they sub everything out in their lives out for an Evangelion branded thing or an Evangelion collaboration branded thing. And it's possible. They sell fucking Evangelion wine. They sell Evangelion wristwatches. It's wild. And so, but what that has done with that show is that show, this like deeply depressing, fucked up show, is now like you can buy Shinji crying on a wristwatch. On the face of a wristwatch. It's weird. It's wild. And that keep, but what doing that does is it keeps the show in people's consciousness, in people's periphery, 
for as long as the merchandise is out there. And you see this pretty traditionally in terms of like anime figures and like the anime merch that like that we in America are more familiar with. Like you can buy an Attack on Titan mug. You can buy like you can buy a Levi um Roomba that's got Levi's voice as the like indication voice. Which is wild. Um but Attack on Titan didn't do that and it was it was, I think, on some level, rightfully getting all this, gaining all this prestige because it was, it, the show was and does tell this story about, about violence. I talked about this at length in my last Attack on Titan episode that you can go check out on the pot in the podcast feed right now, but this show, this show isn't about war, it's not about conflict, it's not about racism or bigotry, it's about cycles of violence and how much it takes to start that cycle, how much it takes to perpetuate that cycle, the people caught in the middle of it, the people caught at, the, at either end, at the people it harms, and how helpless people in the middle of that cycle can feel and the kinds of force of will it can take to end that cycle. Even if the end from the outside, which I'm sure if you watch Attack on Titan, you've been like, at some point, especially in like the fourth season, like, oh, so like, uh, we're not, logic isn't the thing here, guys? This, this, this all just sucks? Cool. Um, you, you saw that. And it's interesting. I'm going to wade into a little bit of a real world thing. So stay with me here. It's interesting to be ending atta the Attack on Titan thing. To be ending Attack on Titan. As we witness the like, first... As, as we're first witnessing a new war in the Middle East, a really actual hot war between Israel and Palestine, Israel and Hamas, or in some people's minds, Israel and Palestine. It... And all media has something, has something to teach us about something. Whether that something is ridiculous or whether that something is serious is up to the interpretation of viewer or whatever. But... This show is so clearly about cycles of violence and cycles of hatred and how kind of at the mercy of those cycles people can feel that it really has a conversation about like somebody at somebody at some point could Somebody at some point in Attack on Titans, like, larger universe, could have just stopped this shit. Could have just been like, nope, not today. And people didn't, because people were so in their own feelings, people were so in their own bullshit, 
that they have kind of, until the very end of that show, they're continually kind of cursing the generations that come after them. And they're creating this, this system that makes it easy and even feel right to fall in to fall into formation of that cycle of hatred and you know bigotry and violence the thing that you see at the end of attack on titan at the very end the last the last scene after and spoilers for attack on titan i've kept it spoiler free mostly until now um spoilers for all of attack on titan for this is that you see these characters who have been born into this fucked up cycle and have now been responsible for making a hard endpoint for it going out into the world and acknowledging that they'll never quite fix it like that like you're not going to stop wars or conflict that will always exist but wars or conflicts in the way that it exists that it has existed for these people they're going to do their level best to just not to make sure that shit doesn't happen. And it's really interesting that you have a you have characters like Reiner, you have characters like Payak, you have characters like Annie, who were, you know, key figures in like directly inheriting the like all the fucked up baggage and and and, and um and um, Armin, all the all the fucked up baggage of the whole system that came before, and just you know, doing their best. But then at the end, and this is this is like, I think. And I forget the name of the guy who did Attack on Titan. I think there's a tendency to ascribe intent to when people write stuff. But I think there's also a tendency, and if you if you watch the new there's a new docu documentary film on Netflix called um, Sly. It's all about Sylvester Stallone, and it's a, he he's a great example of this. He, so this is a weird tangent, but there's a point, I promise. He started writing his own, his own film, his, his own screenplays pretty early on because he was, people deemed him as uncastable. Because if you look at Sylvester Stallone, is he handsome? Yes, he's got like a look to him. He's not hard to look at, but he's also not easy to look at. And at the time he was acting, he started acting, that was a really hard sell. And eventually he writes Rocky, and he writes and stars in Rocky, and he, he said, and he says in the, they say in the documentary, like, not just him, but multiple people, including people related to him, and like Henry Winkler, and like, all these people who know him really well, said, uh, at one point he was offered like $200,000 in the in like the 70s to sell that script which would have made him a very wealthy man at the time 
and he didn't because he knew if he and he said if he knew if he sold out he, he would remember it that way but when he was when he was talking about that film he said like I don't think I could acknowledge it but I can acknowledge it now I wrote a love story like Rocky is Primarily a love story between him and the female love interest in that movie. I forget her name. I forget the actor's name. I forget the character's name. But then you move on from that. And you start to see there's like little things that he doesn't recognize to be true. The little things that he can't... He can't internalize. Like he's talking about his father and his, like, his father's abuse and the way it affected him. And... It, he won't get, he'll get close enough to identify that to the audience that was probably abuse, but he won't get close enough to call it that. And he, his brother will, his brother was like, oh yeah, our father kicked the shit out of us. But he can't. And the reason why I'm saying that is because the stuff that a lot of stuff is dealing with is big and heady, but also is a byproduct of writing about these kinds of things. I think that a lot of what the creative, the original creator of um, Attack on Titan was doing was and is a story about hatred. And I think that as a, as a person living in a country that was on the Axis power side in World War II, like, you're crazy if you think you're writing a story about hatred and you're not going to, at some point, encounter how the hatred you have for, how the hate, how hatred effect has affected you and the place you're from directly. Um, so, and I've, I've, I had this conversation before in um in um I told you about this conversation before in um in the la in the last Attack on Titan episode I did, but a friend of mine who I actually play D and D weekly weekly with now when once asked me when we were like in our twenties, like, what's the deal with Japan and the Nazis? Like why do they seem so why are they so okay with, like, that kind of memorabilia, that kind of, like, representation in film? But you look at a place like Germany, and they're, like, Germany is not okay. You can't show a swastika in Germany. Like, it is super illegal. They will put you in jail forever. And I said to him, I said, because Germany, A, Germany was the, like, prime offender there. But B, Germany did the work. They, they the entirety of the German government like understood that they tried to wipe a race of people off the face of the earth and they understood the gravity of that and what that means and how bad that is and so they did the work yet in Japan you even in a kind of Squeaky clean, family friendly, well, all close to, as close to family friendly as you can get without being like Doraemon. Um, 
shonen pillar show like My Hero Academia, you have the um, manga author coming out and apologizing because he like I think he made re- he made a character who was basically Mangala. He, he did make a character who was basically Mangala, and like gave him that name. And, like, he had to, like, go through and scrub that name from the story, basically, because he was giving representation to this big evil, and people were rightfully like, that's fucked up. And also, you have the whole thing with um, the Korean comfort women, and if you go to Japan, I'm sure you you can definitely still find them, across the street from some important um, buildings in Japan, from some important government buildings in Japan, are these big old statues that the Korean government has put there that represent that are women sitting in these chairs and they represent the like Korean comfort women and the like women who were sold into sexual slavery by the Japanese military. And like that work I'm sure is happening all the time, but hasn't happened to the extent that the Germans have done it for um, World War Two, or that, or to the extent that um, most of that, a lot of America, although I'm sure not all of America, because we are a fucked up country. Don't worry, I, I haven't missed us too. Have done with the idea of slavery and with how that created the um, the um, these uh, our civil war that. That work, and even then, in our, in American culture, that work is still constantly being done. There's, like, the 1619 Project. There's, like, there's all kinds of work of moving forward and understanding the sins of the past is constantly being done. And I think that the um, creator of Attack on Titan, um... really intended to have the conversation about you know World War II and the genocide of a people in World War II because there's a moment in this episode where um the like the show's standing for the envoy from a country from from Japan is on a boat and and she's on a boat and and Annie has woken up out of her coma by this point and is on the boat with her and they're having a conversation and the the envoy says like we allowed she basically said we allowed for a genocide to we we allowed for the internment and the whole and the mass scale murder of a people and we deserve some punishment for this and she said not the rumbling. The rumbling is a nightmare. The rumbling will wipe people. Will wipe most people from the earth. It should be stopped. But we got ourselves here. At any point, we could have just not. We could have, you know, pushed back against the people who were doing this. But we didn't. And that's a real conversation about like complacency and, you know, being. And, and in turn being complicit in 
the kind of in in at least part of the original sin of a thing. Now, lots of people will say like this is an imper that Attack on Titan is an imperfect metaphor for not for like World War Two because the Jews could not turn into giant monsters. But the point here isn't that like these that like there's a entire race of people who can turn into giant monsters. The point is that there's an entire race of people who are oppressed. Who are oppressed and later on oppressed through via the weaponization of their own people. Because what ends up happening is they end up oppressing these people and then to keep them kind of at bay to try and kill them off they weaponize the people they have that's that's the thing with the titan shifters and in the and the, the original founding titans that's the thing with the um with the basic titans, I forget what they're called, they're like simple titans or whatever. That that just normal the normal the normal Eldian the average Eldian can turn into. It, it it's not, and it's it's by no means a perfect thing. But if you're paying attention to the show, you can follow this thread. You can kind of follow this thread as it's pulled in real time to holy shit. This is this is how we get to this to to the rumbling, to a mass to someone triggering a mass extinction event. And you also get to along the way you see characters like Aaron's dad, who is like who is po- who is who is poison fruit and who is poison fruit on the tree? Full stop. He could have not done what to he could have not put the the attack titan in his son. Just could have not done that. You see Zeke, who is so broken and so emotionally scarred by what's come before him that he can't, he can't until like the very fucking end of his life like within the last hour of his life she passed the fact that he's gonna kill a lot of people that 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 the his end will not be just and his end will will never justify the means and I think it's really interesting that the that this show is a huge thing and has so many layers and is so introspective about a core thing in humanity like violence and like hatred because we're clearly not out of that. We still clearly still have a fresh supply of that shit. But it gets something right. It gets something really right in its doing of, in its telling of this story and it's like, its demonstration of this story. 
the thing that gets right is that like this stuff is gonna take this stuff will stop when somebody stops it you know that there's a great there's a great um like I don't even know if he's named he's just the base commander from Marley the um the Germany stand-in in this in this case uh, who is on this like base on a big old plateau and he sees the founding titan fucking skeletor tank nightmare coming towards him with the rumbling in tow and just everything in him is like we fucked up this is our fault <laughs> like this is and the thing he says is really interesting he said this is our fault this is everyone involved's fault. We could have avoided this. Because the, the thing that, the other thing that this gets right, and the thing that, the other thing that this gets right, but is not necessarily true on a, in a historical view. Like if you look at, if you look at the Jews in World War II, they did nothing to deserve what they got. In any way, shape, or form. To suggest otherwise is insane. But if you look at Israel and Palestine, they've been going back and forth with each other for decades. Longer than I've been alive. Longer than most people listening to this have been alive. There have been bad, power-hungry, you know, entitled assholes on both sides. And they have used the threat of each other to do horrific things to each other in view of the world. That's true of, that's pretty true of the Eldians and the Marlians. You know, the, El the Marlians ghettoized and, you know, tortured and killed and were planning to wholesale geno genocidally massacre um, the Eldians, the Marlians were. The Eldians, in response, retreated and basically turned a whole bunch of nukes outward and said, you want to come? Come. But if we ever get the chance, if we ever find the button, we're pushing the button. And... The Marlians didn't, and one of my point here is at no point, at no point in this conflict did anyone back down. Did anyone pause and say, whoa, we're about to kill a whole lot of people. We need to, like, we need to bring the temperature down. And in... In the show, they... Put all, they put a lot of that onus on Aaron. And they, like, they, they have him driven crazy with his visions of the future and the past. And the fact that time as a construct fall, basically falls away for him. And he exists in this, like, permanent state of being in the exact place he is at any time. Future doesn't exist. Past doesn't exist. It is all true all at the same time. 
which, don't get me wrong, is a nightmare. But he didn't do that to him. His father did that to him. A lot of what he is suggesting, a lot of what he does, a lot of what he accomplishes is aided and abetted by everyone around him. You know, uh, Armin could have just not blown up a ship in the ocean. You know, uh, they could have not attacked Marley and then Sasha would still be alive. All of this stuff could have just not happened. Like, they could... People could have just spoken truth to power, sat and thought about it for a little bit, brought the temperature down, and you wouldn't have gotten to stomp on the world stage. <laughs> so, like, avoid having to use the word rumbling again. I... And at the end of this show... You have two characters who are really interesting. You have Mikasa, who essentially lives the rest of her life mourning the man she loved who almost ended the world. Who, who did, in fact, kill 20... Was, was, in fact, solely responsible for killing... 20% of the world's population. And then you have Levi. And Levi, the entire show, is shown to be this... Even in the very end, he's shown to be this... Never-ending font of absolute surgical precision of violence. He is, like... He is, he is the answer to all problems that involve Titan. He will kill them. He knows exactly how. The true, the same thing is true of Mikasa. Different with Mikasa is she is an answer for one specific person, and that is Aaron. And she is hopelessly in love with him. And it's revealed by the end of the show that Aaron was always hopelessly in love with her, but like he. He's got other shit happening to him that isn't his fault. And in a different version, and they show you this world briefly, in a different version of this story, they're together, they're happy, they're peaceful. But Levi is a version of Aaron without the, like, shonen protagonist syndrome applied to him. So what you see at the end of this show is you see a half-blind, wheelchair-bound, <laughs> definitely war hero who is who's just like going around town handing out like teddy bears and cookies to kids. Like just doing nothing but sunshine and rainbows because quite <laughs> frankly he's earned it. What you see of Armin, what you see of Payak, what you see of um, Reiner, Annie, is what I mentioned in the beginning. They are now kind of the front line of diplomacy for being like, look, let's not start wars where we don't need to. Let's have fucking conversations. <laughs> and, and, but the, 
So this is this is really this is really an interesting thing to to know. Um, one of I think the more interesting Gundams in concept is a Gundam is a Gundam show called Gundam Double O. And for people who aren't aware of it, Gundam Double O is largely understood to be the first post nine eleven Gundam. The first Gundam the Gundam in a whole new dangerous world. And as a result, it's its thoughts about war, its thoughts about conflict are different even than the war is bad stuff. Its thoughts about how to deal with conflict are not to just try and make sure the good guys win. Its thoughts are, if there is a war happening, neither side are completely good guys. Because it's not like someone stabbed you and you just kept getting stabbed. It's like someone stabbed you and you stabbed back. You added aggression into that thing. But for for good reason, you want to preserve your own life. But in the case of Gun of Double O, that show starts with basically an organization of young Gundam pilots who are sent all over the world to intervene in conflicts and say, if you want to fight, go right ahead and try. I'm going to kill all of you because no wars, no conflict is allowed at all. And that's not the right choice. That's not the, it's much, it's much easier to just say, I've got the biggest gun you're not allowed to bring any guns. What's harder is to walk into a room full of guns and say, and and ask the question, why are you guys pointing these at each other? You know once you kill the other guy, he's dead, right? We need to bring down the temperature and figure our way out of this without violence. And the unique, the unique position that all of the characters from Attack on Titan, from who are who survive the Attack on Titan main cast, are in is like, look, I was look, I was the Colossal Titan. Look, I was the Attack. I was the Armored Titan. I was the female Titan. We were the we were the monsters that go bump in the night. We saw what kind of we we. We can take you through, we can sit you down and take you through oppression to rumbling in like an afternoon. And if you still want to kill each other, we'll figure it out at that point. But I'm going to bet you're not going to want to. Because, and this is... And this is also interesting in the um, in the in the under in the world where we've all experienced the global pandemic. The thing the rumbling represents is something is something terrifying that has happened to the whole world without question. Giant skinless men trampled 20% of humanity. Most likely 20% of uh, everything. 
There's not a single person at the point at which they are doing diplomacy. There's not a single person in the world who does not understand that. And so they have, in the same way that we now all have the pandemic as a, as a baseline of understanding for probably the next decade and a half at least, they have the rumbling as a base of understanding of this is the real consequence, this was the real consequence of the hatred that people held for each other, of the anger people held for each other. But the the way the show kind of lets you down softly at this point is that at the very end, the very last shot of the end credits of the show is you're sitting at you you've sitting at the tree you're you're given this kind of long distance time lapse of this tree that um, Aaron's head was buried under. And you, at some point in the show, you're shown how Ymir died, the, the, how the founder of, of the Eldian people died. And she died in this cave in a tree, and she died in this cave in a tree. Or the, how the Titans, you know, were born. They were born from this cave underneath a tree. And the last thing you see after decades of con uh, after decades of peace, advancement, and conflict, the the cycle, uh, the kind of just cycle of time and of human conflict and all that stuff happening, is you see a hiker going in to a cave under a tree, and the tree that Aaron was buried under, and it seems to suggest that this is possible again. It, There's a saying that goes something like, the future just echoes from the past. And that, that's really what I think this show is talking about. But it's talking about it with an understanding of, if you come from anger, hatred, and violence, it can be very hard to, to change your reality to not be that anymore. And it can be... It can look very easy. The steps can be very clear. But only to the people outside of it. The kind of emotional person that that represents is wildly and deeply harmful to the mind, body, and soul. And when you see... when when So when... When Aaron dies, um, Armin and Mikasa are both brought into their own personal little, like, memory holes with Aaron. Where, like, Mikasa gets to see Aaron one last time and Armin gets to see Aaron one more time. But the thing with Mikasa is, and Aaron reveals this, it's like, Mikasa was always going to be the one who could stop him. Armin was always going to be Aaron's friend. But because Aaron is because Armin has no responsibility to be the one who kills Aaron himself, 
Aaron can have a degree of like freedom and of honesty with his best friend. His best friend who with whom he had no sexual tension. Um But at first he doesn't. Until until Armin's just like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you absolute piece of shit. And you at the briefest push you see all that kind of like cool adult Aaron Yeager, like abs for days coolness just fall to pieces. Really for the first time in a long time in this show, and you realize like, oh, he this is a Daniel Craig staring staring into the distance scenario. His like stone demeanor was not necessarily stone. It was a facade and it was masking just complete fear at what he was for at what he was mentally forced to just hold in him at all times. Because of a decision his father made years ago. When he was when he was a baby, basically. And it's just like it's really it's really heartbreaking and like soul rending and all this other shit. Because could have could what was continue to be. No. It was they like the Eldian people were slowly being, you know, erased from existence. Even the ones who would become who were inherent Titan shifting abilities would get a timestamp of thirteen years to live after they became after they became whatever the name Titan was. So there was always an endgame where there were no Eldians. But it's the tragedy is in the people who ended up having to hold the bag for all that shit. And so so, so there's a so there's like a tent there's a really tense standoff between a Mar the that Marlian um captain of the base and these Eldians who are just trying to get like their who are largely the parents of many of the Titan shifters, who are trying to get, you know, people's wounds treated, find some place maybe hopefully dear God safe. Not that anywhere could be. And you see them in this big standoff. And then you see them later and you realize, oh, he pointed his gun in the air. And they all just fired in the air together. And he, and he said before that to his, like, to his, off, to his, uh, to his, you know, to the officers that were in command, like, we gotta stop this. And if, and if we are lucky enough to make it out of this, we need to be beyond reproach and never let this happen again and if it ever happens we need to do everything to stop it in its tracks and not to participate and push it along because I, as weird as this sounds even when you're in the emotional throes of doing something truly heinous it takes a pretty sociopathic person not to recognize the kind of harm you're doing on other people. And it 
it may take a fair amount of intelligence, emotional and just actual intelligence. Um, but it it's hard to ignore that tugging on your soul. Once you do, it gets easier and easier until you never until it, you don't feel the pull at all because it pulls your shirt off. But until then, it's hard to ignore it. There's a genuine bite and sting there. It's, uh, I just, I, I really, I'm really more than a little delighted that this, that this show was this popular for this long and like didn't, it didn't pull its punches about how complicated the whole scenario is. It was just like, no, we're gonna, we're going to force thought about this whole scenario, about this whole concept, because it deserves to be thought about, it deserves to be focused on, it deserves to be... It deserves to bother people. And on that note, I have actually gone over what I usually go over, so there you go, I lied in the beginning. Um, but on that note, I have been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio. If you like the podcast, listen to the other podcast in the feed. There's always more. Um, listen to the previous um, episode, which was the Lunchbox Weekly News for this week. And listen to the previous Thursday edition, which was all about Knights, the live action Knights of Zodiac, which once again is bad, but still did fall on Netflix. So it will, they will learn the, long, the wrong lessons and we will get bad things as results. Thank you, God. Um, but um, if you really like the show, be sure to subscribe to it in your podcast app of choice and leave a rating in that same podcast app of choice. Five stars. I think we. I think I deserve five stars, but you be the judge. Um, it really helps the show get discovered and all that fun jazz. Um, and tell your friends. Just like be like, hey, you like anime? There's this weird dude who talks about it on the internet all the time. Go listen. Um, here's a show. Take people's phones. Subscribe to the, subscribe to my podcast on them. It'll be great. Um, but until then, I will talk to you next time.